Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Slam University, where we come and highlight the careers of wrestlers every other week. Uh, History Wrestling Podcast, that's what I meant to say. For whatever reason, the words didn't come out. Right. You, but, you might want to rehearse that a little bit. Where should... we come and di- discuss... <laughs> Yeah, I actually put record and I forgot that I was the one that has to do the lead in here. Uh, But I am your host, uh, or one of your hosts, Joe Garcia, and joined as always by uh, Malcolm Spinetti. Say hi, Malcolm. Hey, Malcolm. Oh, Mr. Literal over here. (laughs) Dude, WrestleMania, huh? Yeah, what a a show. Yeah, I'll admit, I was very pleasantly surprised. I was expecting them to make so many mistakes, but they they only made a couple. Just two. (laughs) <laughs> Overall, though, I thought I thought it was a strong, strong showing. Yeah. Top to bottom. So, so many WrestleMania moments. I mean, the only new, two nitpicks I have is a: Did Big Show really need to win that battle royal? And b: <laughs> I say um, yes. You, really? Okay. Do you know how many he's won before that in his entire career? Well, that, that's the thing that both <laughs> JBL literally went into business himself, like. Up until that point, that was not the story. If that had been the story leading up to WrestleMania, I would have been all for it. But literally, JBL's like, hey, you know, he hasn't won one. He really needs to win this one. <laughs> uh, well, whatever. The big strong man wins the Battle Royal. That's big not, strong that's, that, man. That shouldn't be a surprise or upsetting. <laughs> I want that to be his uh, nickname, the big strong man. <laughs> uh, but we're not here to break down the entire WrestleMania card, Malcolm. Although we do have to talk about one of the participants in one of the matches. Uh, Indeed, which was my other nitpick for the night. <laughs> <laughs> we can get to that particular result all the way at the end, I think, unless you want to break it down now for some reason. Uh, we'll, you know, there, there, there'll be a point where I will go right into it. But folks, if in case you couldn't tell, let's this time on the show we're going to break down a legend in the business, and that's Heath Slater. Um, yeah, yeah. Can, can you believe that he got knocked out so early in that battle? Oh man, Jesus. <laughs> Outlasted Axel, even. But no, uh, we're, <laughs> we're talking about the man called Sting. and oh, uh, the, the vigilante is the WWE, for whatever reason, really uh, wants to call him. My God, we'll, we'll go into WWE, too. But uh, And uh, I've been looking forward to this one, Joe, because I actually grew up uh, a really big Sting fan when I was a kid. You were a little stinger? Yeah, I was a stinger. You're goddamn right. <laughs> <laughs> You're goddamn right. Uh, but at the... WCW, I didn't have the pleasure of seeing a lot of, like, just where I lived through when I was a kid, uh, I didn't get TBS, so I didn't get a chance to see uh, most of the channels. Mm. Those were shows. However, I did know, I knew of two WCW guys. I, is, I knew Ric Flair, and I knew Sting. And those, are, those are the ones to know. If you're going to know any, just two of them, those are the ones you should know. Indeed, and... Uh, in time, Lex Luger. But aside from that, those two guys. <laughs> and uh, I, I loved Sting. I loved the look of him. And let me tell you, his uh, the Stinger Splash, great move to use on your your little brother against the <laughs> bed. It's great. Uh, I would say that there's a large a large array uh, of, of wrestling moves that are just terrific to use on your younger siblings. <laughs> uh, figure four leg lock. Give that a try, folks. <laughs> <laughs> give, the, give the crippler cross race a go sometime. <laughs> <laughs> No, 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 no. You don't put your little brother's hand next to there, no. <laughs> it's an easy app for him. But, uh, yeah, uh, j- now, Sting is a legend in, the biz- in this business. Granted, it was for primarily the competition for WWE for the longest time, d- WCW. But he literally helped make that company what it is, along with 
others, but he was essentially the John Cena, except people cheered for him. <laughs> yeah, he was pushed as the, the face of the company and people did not object to it. Indeed, and you know he, he was cool. He was like a he was a superhero type character, much like the Ultimate Warrior was in WWE, and more on him during <laughs> this uh, presentation. And and you know he's quite legendary. You can see like certain moves of his live on in other wrestlers, like Shelton Benjamin. For a long time, he like pretty much stole the entire move set of Sting. <laughs> like the you know going into the move set, uh, his. His uh, style of punching, where he'll punch you and then come back with a backhand chop, that that's pretty awesome. The stinger splash, which is essentially an avalanche in the corner, except he does it with such energy. It's so much fun. Yeah. And later on, the scorpion deathlock, which uh, I was infuriated uh, that because I – well, no. I, I, <laughs> I was going to say uh, he stole it from Brett, but that's impossible. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, you know, it was a leg grapevine, and of course he got the scorpion death drop, which is just a reverse DDT. <laughs> and of course he loves gorilla pressing you. Oh my god, he will! Yeah. So many gorilla presses and sting matches. My god. <laughs> uh, what, what do you know about Sting, there, Joe? Well, I uh, I grew up watching WCW uh, during the Monday Night War, uh, so I got I got to see a little bit of the early Sting, and then. Uh, you know, the surface thing, and then they, him disappearing for a year, uh, which is still which is still just uh, boggles the mind that WCW said, yep, go ahead and take a whole year off, even though you're perfectly healthy. <laughs> um, and just not wrestle. It's like, okay, that's that's weird. Uh, <laughs> um, oh, but, and we'll, we'll, we'll discuss. We, we have discussed it already. But. <laughs> but, when we, but when he does come back, and he comes back as, a, as the, you know, the crow, uh, it just completely blew Joe's 12-year-old mind. I was like, whoa! <laughs> or, wait, no, 10 or 11 years old. That's uh, how old I was. And I was like, holy crow, this guy is so cool. He's got the bat and he's all mopey. Uh, I want to be Sting. Uh, and I've still got a sticker on my on my childhood mirror uh, of, that I got out of a vending machine for 50 cents uh, of Sting. Uh, so, cool guy. Uh, kind of a dumb character in a lot of, t- a lot of respects, though. And not, not, not like the character itself, but just him uh, the way he he just has like the way he falls for things that are very base like that are very easy to not fall for. Uh, Sting will fall for them, and it's oh uh, yeah, yeah. Well, he's like a, a white meat baby face to the stand. Except uh, I love the persona, I love the makeup, I yeah. love the superhero. Total airhead. Yeah. Oh yeah. He he is a blonde, but uh, <laughs> uh, aside from like. John Cena, which is just basically a muscular dude in everyday clothes, which. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, even in even in the lead up to even uh, his match at WrestleMania, there was one moment where I was like, "Wow, that's that's this thing I know, uh, the one who puts his trust in the absolute worst place." <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, it was, <laughs> it's like, what are you doing, Sting? Uh, uh, oh god, we'll discuss the WrestleMania. Oh, uh, but right yeah, away. I'm looking forward to. This. Uh, indeed. All right. Well, let's get down to the general information. And his real name, of course, is Steve Borden Sr. As uh, he has a kid named Steve. Uh, he res- he was born on March twentieth, nineteen fifty nine, in Omaha, Nebraska. He now resides in Dallas, Texas. He has three kids: Steve, of course, Steve Jr., Garrett, and Gracie. Hmm. He now. Other things to note, he does this and he does that. He's big as a bull and he's quick as a cat. He got bite 
and he looks cool. He stays up late, Joe, and believe it or not, he is also no one's fool. Another important thing to note, don't you dare cross him or get in his way. Because, you know, if you do, Joe, you're going to have to pay. To the man, called Stan. Oh, Oh, God. What just happened? (laughs) I love that music. I don't care what What just happened. Uh, He's had, like, a couple of theme music. It's a shame we can't just, like, you know, pause the video here and just play little bits of his theme music, but... He had like the classic WCW theme, down, 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 and then it went into the Sting <laughs> song, which was, I would, I'm sorry, and people are going to consider this blasphemy. I would put it right up there with Real American. You're you're you're, you're speaking crazy. <laughs> and then of course there came Crow Sting, and uh, eventually he would get some Metallica in there, which was pretty interesting. <laughs> anyway, he I'm always is... wary of licensed music for entrance. So. For entrance oh yeah. Is... Because then you get like a situation with WC with uh, WD Network and WCW where they have to play like these dumb renditions of the song. <laughs> Not only that, but I mean just uh, just in general, I, I, it's like come on, surely somebody in the back can can make something new. Well, that's what Jimmy Hart was for. Unfortunately, he had to go. <laughs> uh, he's billed as six foot two inches, two hundred and fifty pounds. From Venice Beach, because if you're blonde and muscular, that's where you come from. <laughs> yeah. And he was trained by a fellow named Rick Basement. Joe, do you remember Rick? Rick Basement. This rings a bell, Malcolm. Indeed. For he was the guy who t- would later go on to train John Cena. Oh, God. In fact, uh, Cena was in his same federation, UWF, years later. So Rick ah. Basement is providing uh, quite the track record so far. <laughs> All right, so some notes on his early life. Once again, he was born in Omaha, Nebraska, but he was raised primarily in Southern California. His father was a salesman for a lumberyard and was pretty successful doing it. He was a great all-around a- athlete, excelling in basketball and football in high school. <laughs> uh, he didn't go to college as he sought a career in bodybuilding, even becoming a co-owner of a Gold's Gym, which I, I guess every wrestler does at some point. It's <laughs> Yeah, like I think Ric Flair owned one in Charlotte. Yeah, and I know Hogan owned one. <laughs> Freaking A. Uh, he, he was appreciated by underground uh, wrestling legend, as I mentioned, Rick Baseman, who at the time was looking to start a four-man stable called, called Power Team USA. Uh, he came to Sting's gym for a few weeks and finally went up to him and said, hey, what about you? Yeah, now at this point, Sting had no interest in the sport as he never saw wrestling thanks to the fact that he grew up with no cable. <laughs> uh, how did he do it? I don't know. <laughs> he only knew of wrestling through Rocky IV and the fact that Hogan would frequent his gym. Sting declined at first, but Rick persisted. And finally, he uh, convinced Sting to check out a wrestling show at the L.A. Sports Arena. And this show, believe it or not, Joe, was a WWF show where he saw the likes of the Iron Sheik, the British Bulldogs, Andre the Giant, Hulk Hogan, and many more. He saw how nuts people got for it, and he was sold. All right, this is my future right here. I'm going to be a professional wrestler, and I'm going to do it with this greasy guy who keeps coming to the uh, gym. (laughs) Won't leave me alone. Indeed. And, hey, what a legendary stable, huh? Power Team USA. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about some of the people in there. 
Now, Steve Borden would uh, join under Flash. And <laughs> get it? Flash Borden? Boy. <laughs> that's rough. That's a, that's I, a stretch. I wish he came to the ring with the Queen song playing in the background, <laughs> riding like a hovercraft <laughs> the band blowing. Oh, man. And a fellow by the name of Jim Helwig, who, uh, yeah, yeah, little little spoiler, he would go on to be pretty ultimate in his destiny as the ultimate warrior. But for now, he was simply known as Justice. <laughs> Justice. Justice. And uh, now, this is where the legends end for this group, as other guys include Mark Miller, who went by the name Commando and later, later called Major, Garland Donahoe, who would be called Glory or The Glory, and Ed Brock, who would go on as The Fury, and when he found the symbiote, he would be called The Venom. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> The group starved in the beginning. And when I say that, I mean they were literally starving. Uh, Sting was homeless, living out of his car, and uh, barely had money to eat. Uh, Power Team USA pretty much fell apart fell apart before it even got off the ground, as both Donahoe and Miller quit due to a lack of success and business savvy, as Sting put it. Mm. Where really it was just like, oh, this is going to take some work? I'm going to get out of here. <laughs> Like, oh, you're living out of your car, so uh, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and just do something else instead. I'm going to go co-own a Gold's Gym. <laughs> uh, Helwig and Steve kept at it, sending press kits all over the world to get jobs. Because back in those days, folks, you couldn't just uh, email WWE or whatever they do now. Yeah, I think yeah. it's literally just an application you fill it online for a tryout at NXT or whatever. Oh, seriously, my God. <laughs> uh, yeah, back in those days, you would create a VHS tape of yourself, you know, showing off some promos of you, you uh, wrestling some matches, and then uh, some photos of you as well, and send them out to uh, different, and actually physically mail them out to different promoters to see if anyone would bite. And uh, Helwig and Steve uh, did, and that it could be pretty costly, because VHSs were big, so you'd have to send quite a bit. And they send it not only all over the United States, but to countries all over the world, including Japan. That'd be uh, $59 to send, to send it to, to all Japan wrestling or whatever. Uh, New Japan. Uh, hopefully just New Japan. Okay, we only got 50 bucks, dude. We can only send it to New Japan. <laughs> <laughs> we, can't do, we can't do that. In, uh, what's the other one called? What's the other major one? It always slips out. Oh, IWGP. Uh, International, no. yeah, something like no, that. No, that's yeah. the name. Of, that's the that's the name of the belt that they use it in oh. Japan. <laughs> Why would they call it something else other than the name of the fed? Yeah, it's the International Wrestling Grand Prix. Is that's all I know. Ah, that's okay. that's for another show. Well, anyway, after sending uh, some out, they finally would receive uh, receive word from Jerry Jarrett's from the a small promotion of Jerry Jarrett's. The much-talked-about Continental Wrestling Association, a fed that's come up quite a few times mm -hmm. in our show. Yep. And with his first real match being on November 28, 1985, he worked for 25 bucks a day, and he worked every single day a year, every <laughs> single day of the year. So he would work on weekends, holidays, sometimes twice in one day. He be. <laughs> He became him, uh, with the Warrior. Uh, he wasn't power team anymore. They became known as the Freedom Fighters. 
and they still went by Flash and Justice. <laughs> and they were managed by the Dirty Dutch, Dutch Mantel. <laughs> the duo were as green as grass. And they... <laughs> And unfortunately, they hurt quite a few people with their stiff maneuvers. So it was a result of which they didn't actually last that long in, in the CWA. <laughs> Good going. They're, they're like the Road Warriors, except not a draw. <laughs> oh. uh, they would then go to the U- Universal Wrestling Federation, UWH. The duo kept trying, despite the fact that they were surrounded by doubters, as Sting said. They got hired by Mid-South... Of by Bill Watts for Mid South Wrestling Federation, and this would eventually become UWF in '86. Uh, they were the Blade Runners, Rock and Sting. And no, I'm not talking about Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> uh, that's what the Warrior was called for a little while. The duo joined the heel stable Hot Stuff and Hyatt International, the biggest heel group in the Fed, run by Missy Hyatt and Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert. The Rock, however, <laughs> Rock, however, left the Fed in mid 1986, and in time became the future became a future episode of Slam U. I wrote here. <laughs> Sting, however, would win the UWF World Tag Team Championship twice with Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert in '86, and in '87 uh, with Rick Steiner. Sting was heel for this entire time, but the face turn came during a match with Terry Taylor. Former manager Eddie Gilbert interfered and allowed Terry Taylor to get the victory. Eddie and Terry would then double-team Sting until gentleman Chris Adams (laughs) would rush to the ring to make the save. And Adam asked Sting point-blank, are you with me or are you against me? And the rest is history as Sting would shake his hand and he became a A fan favorite. Eddie Gilbert, behind the scenes, was a huge supporter of Sting, even going to dirt sheets and proclaiming that he'd be a megastar one day. Sting was scheduled to win Eddie's UWF TV title when Jim Crockett bought the company in 86. New head booker Dusty Rhodes put the belt on Terry Taylor to schedule a feud with Nikita Koloff to unify the NWA and UWF TV titles. From here, they would become Jim Crockett, which would later become WCW in time. Dusty Rhodes at this time decided to focus on Sting being the hottest new star. So he partnered him up with the Freebirds to take on Eddie Gilbert, Rick Steiner, and Larry Sabisco and wrestled to a 15-minute draw at Starcade 87. By the way, get used to me saying time limit draw with Sting uh, that was the thing to do, Joe. It's <laughs> oh, wrestle man. to a draw. Goodness gracious. By the way, he was actually one of the few UWF guys to get pushed, as most of them pretty much got pushed to the wayside after this, so he did pretty good for himself. At the inaugural Clash of the Champions in March of 88, Sting wrestled Ric Flair to a 45-minute draw. But it was a good match. It was a great match. <laughs> but just one, like you said, one of many uh, time limit draws. I mean, if you were to tell, tell that to a fan of today, they'd be like, a draw, so nothing happened. No, plenty of stuff happened. <laughs> Look, man, Sting and Ric Flair wrestled for 45 damn minutes. You're going to watch it, and you're going to love it. Indeed. And plus, you know, this was a new guy really showing off what he could do. Uh, I'm trying to think of what would be a good example to show 
of like something like that today. Like imagine Tyson, or it was like, imagine that time on SmackDown that Seth Rollins had like that 30 minute match with uh, Cena all of a sudden. Uh-huh. And you were like, Oh, holy shit. This guy could be something. <laughs> <laughs> or, uh, or the most recent example, uh, someone who's been down in NXT for a little while, but he had a pretty good debut on raw. I think uh, was Callisto. I thought he, he tore the house down. And I was like, yeah, that guy could be something. Oh, Callisto is going to be Ray 2.0, trust me. <laughs> uh, and the man known simply as Neville, I think he's going to be something too. <laughs> I call him mini Triple H around the house just because of how big yet little he is. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, where was I? Hey, now, but, now, WCW is like the wrestling focus of the two feds. At least it was at the time between itself and WCW. As when I say uh, Sting wrestled Ric Flair to a draw... There was also judges that went with the match, and they couldn't decide on a winner. <laughs> Sting would then wrestle and lose to Flair in non-televised matches and face off against other members of the Four Horsemen. Sting would then team up with Nikita Koloff, who was, imagine, uh, he's pretty much a, the Rusev back in the day, a uh, guy from uh, Russia, uh, to take on NWA Tag Team Champions Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard, a very legendary tag team that not enough people know about, at the Great American Bash on July 88. That's, this one also ended in a 20-minute draw. <laughs> Dusty <laughs> would continue to book Sting in title matches, even with NWA U.S. Champion Barry Windham and TV Champion Mike Rotundo. The, the point is, folks, that, you know, He's not winning, but he's not losing. Like, the uh, champions can't figure out a way to bot, get past, to beat him. So it's making him look good. So there you go. Uh, trying to figure out a way to transition Sting away from feuding with the Horsemen, Sting's next big feud was with the Road Warriors, of all people. At uh, In the fall of 88, the Road Warriors just attacked attack Sting after a televised match for... I couldn't tell you. They just did that. That's what they did. <laughs> it just kind of showed up on, on TV one day. Yeah, it's just like because they're the Road Warriors, that's why they attacked him. <laughs> uh, they beat him up pretty bad, which led, led to a feud with Dusty Rhodes himself coming out to team with Sting and challenge the Road Warriors for the straps at Starcade 88. And uh, good news, Joe. They actually got the decision. They won. By DQ, so that but they didn't win the belts, but they won. So good for them. <laughs> Sting would begin '89 by having another title match with Flair, but once again he didn't win. For those keeping track, yeah, and then this is what I said: he's having time limit draws. Granted, he didn't win, but he's not losing technically. Nope. This is kind of what the, I hope they would do with Roman Reigns instead of just rushing him to the main event of WrestleMania. <laughs> you know, just like. It's like what they're doing with Ambrose. Have him, like, fight his way up the ranks and then let me fall in love with the guy, you know? Yeah. But anyway, Sting would would then see the world as he traveled to Japan for a tour with New Japan Pro Wrestling for a bit. Uh, Nothing really notable. He was just doing that in between WCW or Jim Crockett. Finally, in March 89, Sting would win his first singles title when he beat Mike Rotundo for the TV championship. I miss the TV championship, Joe. Yeah, so what was the TV championship exactly? It's basically the the time limit was shorter so as to fit on TV. Is that the thing? Yeah, it's like you would wrestle. 
a TV time, and I think it was like 15 or 10 minutes. Yeah. And uh, I think the idea at first was you defended it every time you were on TV, or you had to defend it within 30 days on television. Mm. And uh, it's a good, it's a good first step because it, you're a you're guaranteed to go on TV, and uh, it's you know just having the title and keeping it. Like uh, one of my friends who's an old wrestling fan back in the day, still remembers this amazing feud with Arn Anderson or this <laughs> run as TV champ with Arn Anderson where he had 30 days to defend it, so he'd always wait to the last possible minute. <laughs> like, people would challenge him, and he'd be like, nope, I still got eight days left. <laughs> he'd just walk away. <laughs> then finally the president like, if you don't do it now, you're we're stripping. You're like, all right, I'll wrestle this one. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> Oh, Arn Anderson. I can't wait to do Arn Anderson. He's, he's awesome. He's, uh... Sting was a fighting champ, <laughs> defending the belt quite actively. However, it was uh, reminiscent of uh, Bret Hart's IC title run where you know Bret Hart was defending it, but he was defending it against Skinner and Papa Shango. <laughs> right. He's like, you're not losing to this guy. <laughs> who's so, who's going who's gonna to come... Come out on top of this match between Brett the Hitman Hart and Repo Man. <laughs> it's like, really? I'm kind of offended you're giving him a title shot, to be frank, right? <laughs> Sting would reign as champ until the Great American Bash of 89. He would challenge another future episode, Great Muda, in what was billed as a dream match. Mm. Sting, Sting would get the pin, but replay showed that Muda had his shoulder up. In a pretty unfair decision, and once again, <laughs> get used to me to saying this, WCW decided to strip Ting Sting of the belt instead of just giving Muda a, a rematch. It's not, it's not like Sting cheated. It was just the ref <laughs> screwed up. Yeah, weird. Yeah, so they stripped him of the belt, and they were like, we'll just have Sting and Muda fight again. <laughs> and by, again, I mean quite a few dozen times, as each time the wins were traded by DQ, which... Was once again, I guess you know, DQ. The belt doesn't change hands, so it did, even in the case of the title being vacant, I guess. So this continued until September of '89. Muda would pin Sting finally in a no DQ match by using a blackjack. So what a jerk! Man, you don't see blackjacks anymore. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's just a like while a, it's just like what, like a finger leather. Yeah, or, or whatever. It's very. It's, it's like a thick thing of le leather that like if you hit someone in the back of the head, they would go unconscious, <laughs> at least in TV shows or whatever. Right. So anyway, they find, uh, at Starcade 89, Flair defeated Terry Funk. And no, this is not a mis misnote. Uh, <laughs> Funk was a member of Gary Hart's JTEX Corporation, a very big heel stable at the time. After the match, Muda ran out and attacked Flair. Tilly was rescued by a man called Sting. At this point, they uh, gained a mutual respect, and they would actually team up. Yes, Ric Flair and Sting actually teamed up for a while, and they took on Funk and Muda through the summer and fall, culminating in a Thunderdome cage match, <laughs> with Sting and uh, Flair coming out atop at Halloween Havoc 89. Now, now what is a... What is a... a what was it? A... A Thunderdome cage match. And what? here are the rules of the Thunderdome cage match. Do right tell. Now. All right. Each team picks a third guy who stands outside of the ring. 
For uh, Flair and Sting, it was Ole Anderson. And for Muda and uh, Funk, it was, of course, Gary Hart. And the match just simply continued until the third guy gives up on behalf of his team. So the point is that the other team beats up the other guy so brutally that the friend on the outside has to basically throw in the towel <laughs> on their behalf. Okay. Yeah, and, sure. Uh, <laughs> this resulted in Sting joining the four horsemen with Flair, Arn, and Ole Anderson. Sting would end the year by teaming up by uh, teaming up with uh, them in eight-man tr- tags uh, around the country, but he would end the year by winning a four-man round-robin round robin Ironman tournament at Starcade 89. Nice. And as uh, when I say this, there were like a four-man round-robin tournament featuring four competing individuals <laughs> and tag teams. And uh, by the way, get used to me to having to explain how matches work in WCW. My <laughs> God, the, the point system was twenty points for a pinfall or submission, fifteen points for a countout, ten for a DQ, and five for a co- time limit draw, and zero for losing. Of course, <laughs> right. And uh, the participants were Lex Luger, Sting, Ric Flair, and Great Muda. And uh, just to quickly go through how every match went, Luger pinned Sting. Flair pinned Muda. Sting pinned Muda. (laughs) Luger and Flair fought to a DQ. Luger beat Muda by DQ. He he did terribly. And then finally, (laughs) Sting took on the the leader of the Four Horsemen, or the team he was a part of, Flair, and beat him by pinfall, meaning the end scores were Sting 40, Flair 25, Luger 35, and Muda with a big old goose egg. Damn. So Sting won, and as a result of which, got a a shot at the NWA championship owned by the horseman leader, Ric Flair. Ooh. This led to dissension in the horseman, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, they told him, you know, Ole and Arn tried to tell him, listen, Flair's, in the end of the day, Flair's the boss. You don't don't attack the leader, man. (laughs) (laughs) Even though he earned the right to do so. (laughs) Indeed. So, despite warning, Sting decided to take the opportunity of the championship, touting that he had to know, and uh, it even said, you know, to Flair, it's what you would do too. Flair, out of fear of losing the belt, attacked Sting with the rest of the horsemen, effectively kicking him out in February (laughs) of 1990. Later in the evening, Sting would suffer a legit knee injury while trying to interfere with the horsemen. Which they just quickly said, oh, the horseman, you know, hit him in the knee. Sting would be out for five months, and in the meantime, had to be replaced. So they went with the second place winner, Lex Luger, <laughs> for the match at Wrestle War 90. And despite being in Luger's corner at Wrestle War 90, Flair would win the match by countout after Luger got counted out, trying to save Sting from an attack by Ole Anderson on the outside. By the way, get used to me saying Lex Luger a lot because. He's quite entwined with Sting's history, surprisingly. Yeah, best friends. Indeed, they they uh, they really were. Yeah, but I don't know if it extended uh, behind the scenes, but that's what they were billed as for a lot, large part of their WCW run together. Indeed. Oh, and they had one of the best angles, which I'll get to later on. Behind the scenes for this incident, however, WCW's actually wanted Flair 
prepared to drop the title to Luger at WrestleWar, but Flair refused, saying he had promised Steve Borden that he would hold the title until he came back and would drop it to him then. So for for Flair, you know, it was a matter of keeping his word. But imagine if you tried to pull something like this with Vince. <laughs> <laughs> Despite the injury, Sting still appeared on TV and pay-per-views as necessary. Now, folks, you remember last week's episode when we covered the Macho Man Randy Savage, one of my personal favorite episodes. Go check that out. But Joe covered uh, the Doomsday Cage match. <laughs> oh, man. Which, Are we getting to the Chicago Street fight? No, we're we're away from the Chicago Street <laughs> fight. But we we need to talk. Joe proclaimed that to be the dumbest thing in wrestling. Now, Sting, I, call, I call it the worst thing to ever happen in, in a wrestling event where nobody died. All right. Well, I have some <laughs> contenders for you, Joe. Let's, <laughs> let's see if that remains the champion. All right. Despite the injury, Sting would still appear on TV and pay-per-views as necessary. Most notably, Capital Combat in 1990, where Sting was attacked by the horseman and shoved in a cage, Joe. <laughs> when, oh, get, when guess who had come to his aid? <laughs> um, oh, my God, I forget what the actual, what I forget what the, the pre-transformation name of this particular officer of the law is, but... Uh, Alex Murphy. That's the one. Uh, the <laughs> my Murphy. God, it's RoboCop! <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's RoboCop. For a few things to note. One, you know, this is constantly brought up for WrestleCraft reasons. <laughs> but my here's surprising fact. Uh, RoboCop, despite being this huge badass uh, ro- cyborg robot, is pretty small next to Sting. <laughs> it's like Andre next to Hogan. It's, it's pretty impressive. Oh, man. And uh, when I said earlier at the beginning of the show where, uh, where, where Sting is endearingly dumb... Uh, this is one of the moments <laughs> where he's very easily trapped in a small cage, uh, and it's hilarious. Oh, God. He just bends the obvious rubber <laughs> bars. Oh, man. I mean, the way he was trapped, too, it wasn't like it was It wasn't even hard for them to trap him in the cage. They, it's almost like leading like a sheep into like <laughs> the back of a truck or something. It's interesting. Step, oh, in, say, step in. Uh, this was a crossover for Robocop 2, which had just started, uh, which was coming out. Uh, by the way, another another fun little idiotic thing that happened at Capital <laughs> Combat 1990, uh, a cage match ended in a disqualification. <laughs> what? <laughs> Welcome to WCW, Joe. <laughs> I mean, did he show up with a knife? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> did he pull a gun? It's like I, I was checking out, the, I was focusing on Sting, so I was just reading about what happened here. And then I glanced over and saw the uh, main event. I forget who was in it, but it was like, Yada yada over by DQ in the <laughs> steel cage match. I'm like, what? <laughs> oh man. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> oh, so, Great American Bash 1990. Sting would finally return to take on Flair for the NWA Championship. How'd that go for him? Well, first some random facts. Uh, that's not really talked about as far as this <laughs> matchup. This was Sting's return, taking on Flair. Steiner Brothers, Paul Orndorff, and <laughs> JYD, the Junkyard Dog, were formed a stable called Dudes with Attitudes. <laughs> nice. 
Be great. They they stayed up late on that one. <laughs> As per the stipulation asked by Sting, they surrounded the ring to make sure there was no horseman interference. And to keep Ole Anderson in specific away from the ring, <laughs> he was handcuffed to El Gante, also known as Giant Gonzalez. <laughs> El Gante would then drag him away from the ring <laughs> and handcuffed to him. So there you go. Lord. So this was a very, very important match in the life of Sting, <laughs> as he would go over, true to his word, Ric Flair, after countering a figure four with a small package. You never see that at all, no. <laughs> One, two, three, we have a new champion. Sting wins the NWA title for the first time. Sting would then continue to feud with Flair and other Four Horsemen members, as I have two back-to-back silly things here for you, Joe. <laughs> Uh, one, how, which is actually the first and only WCW pay-per-view I saw as a small child, Halloween Havoc 1990, which featured Sting versus Horseman member Sid Vicious. And this was the uh, episode where Sting chases a member of the Horseman to the back, and then Barry Windham comes out dressed as Sting <laughs> and gets pinned. And uh, even though it was pretty obvious it was Barry Windham dressed as Sting, but... Thankfully, Sting came out before Wyndham left, and the referee saw it, so the match was quickly restarted as Sting jumped vicious and finished the match. Sting over, he retains the belt. And one of my favorite ones, Joe, I'll see your Doomsday Cage match and raise you a black scorpion. Come again? You don't know about this. (laughs) Wait, this sounds vaguely familiar. But do tell. It, to add some intrigue to Sting, that they had a newcomer. First of all, a newcomer that no one had heard of, that he hadn't wrestled before, and he's automatically given a world title shot. That's pretty amazing. But anyway, <laughs> An amazing talent. Indeed. The gentleman was by the name of the Black Scorpion. And he appeared. He was a fellow covered in, from head to toe in black tights and wore a black mask. And he would spout out, and he would claim to be a man from Sting's past, even randomly just saying stuff. It's like, and, by the way, his voice, heavily distorted, you're like, oh, you don't believe me that I'm from your past, Sting? California, 1986. Think about it. <laughs> this was never revealed to be anything, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Awesome. <laughs> so you would just, like, say random stuff. Now... This is what they, what I imagine they were. Th- if Undertaker debuted in in the nineties, this is what he would have looked like. It was it was pre <laughs> as uh, we saw WCW's version of supernatural powers, where he would like torture Sting at every end by doing such stuff as possessing or making fans go crazy and attack Sting from in the audience. Uh, running out on stage while uh, Sting was uh, doing a promo in the ring, he would grab people of the audience, shove them in the box, and transform them into a tiger. <laughs> sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you say, WCW. He would have Sting wrestle clones of himself, too. Like, there were times <laughs> where Sting actually did wrestle the Black Scorpion 1 and then look up the entrance ramp and see the actual Black Scorpion up on the rampway. Make you wonder if uh, he was actually there. Now, this would have been great 
if the Ultimate Warrior had signed with WCW, then you really could have done something like, okay, it is a guy from Sting's past. But this continued until Starcade in December 1990. <laughs> uh, and uh, you, you want, you want to know who it was, Joe? You want to know? Oh, God, wait a minute. Is it is it that rascal Ric Flair? Yes, it was Ric Flair. <laughs> First of all, it was terrible because the match show, match happens – and uh, Black Scorpion comes out, and you know how, like, it's like he's wearing a mask sort of like with Batman where you can see the mouth and jaw? Mm-hmm. And you can tell it's Ric Flair. <laughs> <laughs> he has a very distinct uh, mouthful area. Yeah, it, even worse, he's t- doing, like, the flare flop in the match. <laughs> so, so it's like, okay, it's even more Ric Flair now. As essentially what happened, WCW booked themselves in a corner. Imagine that. Indeed. So, like, they had, like, ideas of who it could be. (laughs) Ric Flair even said it was supposed to be some guy called Al Perez. But the guy signed with another company and had to go. So they were (laughs) literally without a prayer on what to do. So uh, they never explained how or why Ric Flair had supernatural powers for a little while or had the (laughs) ability to make people go insane. Uh, But it's, like, a very, very weird part in – Arden uh, Sting's first run as champion. I'll say. Indeed. Anyway, Sting's first <laughs> reign as champion. <laughs> Let's never speak of the Black Scorpion again. <laughs> uh, at the end of this, I want I want you, your opinion if the Doomsday Cage match is still <laughs> the worst thing ever. Sting's first reign as champion would end on January 11th, 1991, when Flair beat him in a rematch from Starcade. That same month, WCW seeded from the NWA and became its own company. So from this point on, it's not the NWA Heavyweight Championship anymore. It's simply the WCW title. In the very first Super Bowl of May 1991, Sting and Lex Luger took on the Steiner Brothers for the tag title. Because, for no reason, they just needed a match there. But... (laughs) It was one of the best matches of 1991, as voted by quite a few magazines. And it was a really good match. It's pretty cool. Uh, The Steiners would go over as Nikita Koloff, who had been feuding with Luger, would uh, interfere but accidentally hit Sting, which would transition into a Nikita versus Sting feud. Sting would go on to lose to Nikita in a Russian change match at the Great American Bash of 91. In August... Sting would defeat stunning Steve Austin in a tournament to become the new United States champion. Yes, he went over Stone Cold. Yeah. Now, uh, by the way, to get used to me saying that Sting won the U.S. title in a tournament, by the way, because that happens quite a bit, actually. (laughs) Yeah, including one that I mentioned in the match from that episode. Mm -hmm. Sting would remain champ for 86 days before losing to Rick Rude at Clash of Champions 27. Nice. Indeed. And at the Starcade of 91, Sting would win the very first Battle Bowl championship. Sting would enter a feud with the top heel stable at the time, the Dangerous Alliance. Joe, you've heard nice. of the Dangerous Alliance. Of yes. course, everyone has. Led by manager Paulie Dangerously, <laughs> as you may know him as the advocate behind the one, behind the one in 21 in one. And for Brock Lesnar, Paul Heyman. Sting was the target. B- 
because he was a franchise of the company and the group wanted to destroy him and in the process destroy WCW. Members of the group are actually uh, who's who in uh, wrestling history. We got Rick Rude as pretty much the leader. Arn Anderson. Yep. Beautiful Bobby Eaton. <laughs> Steve Austin. Larry Zabisco. Dare you to try and spell that name. <laughs> Mike, Michael P.S. Hayes as an additional manager. And their valet, Medusa. It's two uh, 2015 Hall of Famers in there. Indeed. It, and trust me, you've got quite a bit more. Well, let's see. Hold on. Anderson's in there. Zabisco's in there. Austin's in there. Medusa went it. So four. But two that went in this year, I mean. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Medusa and uh, Zabisco. Yeah. And spoiler, they're all going to go in there at some point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At the same time as this feud, Sting was also being targeted by Lex Luger, the WC champ, WCW champion, who is now a heel. You know, as he saw Sting as the threat. Really, that that's kind of a weak reason to feud with somebody. You're like, oh, he's a threat. Well, they're all threats, dude. They all want the belt. <laughs> Jeez. Freaking A. Luger was right. As at Super Bowl two in February of 92, Sting would beat Luger for his first WCW heavyweight title. The match would be Luger's final match with the company until 1995, as this is when he signed with the WC, the, with the WC, with the WWE. <laughs> Sting's feud with the Dangerous Alliance officially ended at Wrestle War 92, as the Dangerous Alliance, Rude, Austin, Arn, Zabisco, and Eaton, fell to Sting's squadron of Sting, Ricky Steamboat, Dustin Rhodes, Barry Windham, and Nikita Koloff. Which, uh, by the way, very awesome match. <laughs> this is one of the few matches to get the perfect five-star score from Dave Meltzer. After this, Sting would go on to feud with uh, another newcomer, and it would be one of his most legendary feuds, and that would be the man called Vader. <laughs> at the show at the Omni on April 12, 1992, Sting defended the title against Vader, and during the match, Vader cracked three of Sting's ribs and ruptured his spleen during nice a Vader splash. <laughs> nice going, Vader. It should be at this point I should mention that uh, Vader works stiff. No, yeah. <laughs> like, imagine a very must. Uh, uh, f- imagine Brock Lesnar if he was fat. That's what Vader is. <laughs> Freaking A. I, uh, no joke, I was actually legit terrified of Vader when I was uh, younger. I'm terrified of Vader now. I saw him at the fame ceremony and he was still wearing that Vader mask. So, <laughs> I was like, man, this guy's scary. He'll probably be buried in that. <laughs> and the freaky thing is, that's a new mask, so he's probably still wrestling. <laughs> yeah, it's a new mask, and it clearly it was freshly made for the Hall of Fame ceremony. And uh, when, back when I had dreams and aspirations <laughs> of being a pro wrestler, I, I swore, like, no matter what, I'm never wrestling Vader, which is probably one of the reasons <laughs> I didn't make it. <laughs> I clearly didn't want <laughs> I don't want even the remote possibility of ever having to step in the same ring with the big uh, man Vader. Oh, you just just watch a Vader match. You can tell he's not holding back at all. Man. No. Jesus. Oh. Sting was out until July 12th, so from April 12th to July 12th, where he dropped the title to Vader in the rematch. Sting would hit his head off the ring post after missing a Stinger splash, which would allow Vader to hit the powerbomb. Sting would recover and get, head back on the trail of Vader, first taking on Cactus Jack in a Falls Count Anywhere match. Foley's, and this match, by the way, was uh, one of Foley's 
personal favorite matches. This one took place at Beach Blast '92. <laughs> from heat, from There's there, a lot of beach themed uh, <laughs> pay per views over at WCW. Oh yeah, the Beach Blast, and I believe I believe Bleak Beach Blast would later become Bash at the Beach. Which oh, <laughs> I thought it was just a different thing. No, no that would be they're terrible. Like, they're like we've got Beach Bash, Beach Bash, and or, what, wait, Bash at the Beach and Beach Bash. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> Beach Blast. <laughs> oh man, what a terrible, what a bad all around. Oh uh, yeah, and they would do that quite a bit, like. There, there are quite a few on there that are just like very variations of each other on the network. Like the Great American Bash became just the Bash mm-hmm. after a while. <laughs> it's like, oh. Anyway, Sting would. Rec- okay. From there, he entered a very short lived feud with Jake the Snake Roberts. As Jake had just actually he, uh, forced uh, WWE to fire him so he could go and make what he was assuming to be like $2.5 million over at WCW. <laughs> Unfortunately, at this time, Bill Watts took it over and had a personal beef with Jake Roberts and tore the contract and then lowered his pay to $200,000. So, poor Jake. My God. (laughs) So, at Halloween Havoc 92, Sting would beat Roberts in a coal miner's glove match after a Cobra (laughs) bit him. What? And Sam Hell. One blue blazes is a coal miner glove match. Well, a coal miner's glove is it's pre, it's the pretty much the precursor for all on a pole jokes that you've heard in professional wrestling. Okay, as a, a coal miner's glove apparently has like steel plates like built into it, so it's actually quite hard. Okay, it's hung from a pole in the match, and uh, you, the the point of it is the first person to get the coal miner's glove gets to use it. Uh, it was a pretty piss poor match as. Uh, <laughs> Can't imagine why. Because a few things that I should note. (laughs) The gimmick of this was spin the wheel, make the deal, which is kind of like raw roulette where Uh. there's like a match type. Except WCW didn't have the presence of mind to predetermine or gimmick up that wheel. So when they spin it at Halloween Havoc, they're legit spinning it. Like neither guy guy knew what the match was going to fall under. And it literally falls on like the most boring awful match possible <laughs> and uh the match like the entire match they're trying to get to the coal miners glove and finally sting gets to a point where he's gonna get it so jake says f it and go gets a bag with a cobra in it <laughs> uh sting comes down and uh with the coal miners glove like punches jake which knocks his face into the snake which bites him on the chin and sting rolls him up one two three and jake is like runs <laughs> to the back to get the venom out oh man Wrestling is goddamn crazy. <laughs> so that's like the fourth contender I've given you to the Doomsday Cage <laughs> match. Oh, poor Sting, my God. Anyway, Sting would pick up his feud with Vader in 93, where he would lose to Vader in a bloody strap match at Super Bowl Three. And no, that's not me channeling William Regal. It was actually called a bloody strap match. <laughs> it was pretty brutal. Sting would finally get his revenge on Vader Later for the belt on March 11th, 93 in London, England. But, unfortunately, he lost it right back to Vader six days later in Dublin, Ireland. <laughs> Sting would then team up with newcomer Davy Boy Smith, a.k.a. the British Bulldog, to take on Sid Vicious at Vader at Beach Blast 93. Face is over. And uh, have you seen the trailer for this match, Joe? Uh, 
trailer for the match? No. Yep, that's your fifth contender for worst thing in wrestling ever. As according now, according to this trailer, <laughs> this is the story for why this match is happening. As Vader and Sid Vicious, just because they're dicks, I guess, they send this uh, little evil midget with a TNT strap, and they blow up Sting's personal speedboat. And, <laughs> and Sting and the British Bulldog are all pissed off, and then they just like, and then it cuts to like a beach blast or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. There's your backstory for the match. Oh, man. I'd be pretty pissed if someone blew up my speedboat. Yeah, I, I, I want to wrestle a good match with you. If you, you know, <laughs> then again, where am I getting a goddamn speedboat? <laughs> where do you go for that? Uh, Florida, I imagine. <laughs> there was no real, real resolution to the feud, however, with Vader, as Flair would return from the WWF, and it was like this big "How do you do?" Of course, and he would defeat Vader for the belt at Starcade '93. He and, you know, Sting was being the super face that he is, was one of the first guys to come out and say congratulations. Sting would continue to feud with both Vader and Rude, who was uh, the WCW International World Champion, not to be confused with the heavyweight world champion. Boy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Essentially, this was their version of the world title and the WWE title, I guess. But, well, I mean, their version of the world title is the world title. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> what are you talking about? It's, it's literally the world title. <laughs> and this would continue to be a thing throughout 94. Sting would defeat Rude in April to win the international world title, his very first. Rude would win, win it back in May at Wrestling Dantaku 94 in Japan. However, and sadly, the decision was reversed since uh, Rude hit Sting with the belt And even worse, due to a back injury sustained in the match, this is what forced Rude into retirement. Uh, Sting decided he didn't want to be handed the belt back once uh, the decision was reversed. And being such an uber face, he wanted to (laughs) face somebody for the vacant strap. And it came down to Vader. And finally, he defeats his rival for the strap at Slammiversary. That comes later. Slamboree 94. So <laughs> finally gets the come up and sober Vader. Blair, however, would turn heel. Enraged over the attention Hulk Hogan was getting for coming in. <laughs> I don't know if you, you, you remember this feud. Essentially, uh, it started with a WCW magazine, believe it or not, article. Where it was talking about the top five greatest wrestlers of all time. And they made Hogan number one. <laughs> with did. him not even being in the company. <laughs> And Flair was number two. And he cuts this amazing promo on that. So he wanted to be the guy to face Hogan. So in having this, they had a match between Flair and uh, and Sting at Class of the Champions to unify the belts. And Flair would go over and unif- and do just that. And then he would go on to have a match with Hogan, which Joe was nice enough to cover back in part two of our Hulk Hogan documentary. <laughs> so go check that out. Sting would then go on to go on the Randy Savage route, and his gimmick became that he was one of Hogan's friends. <laughs> so there you go, Joe. It wasn't Randy Savage's fault. So it's just, if you were a main event face, you were a Hogan's buddy. And that's <laughs> just the way it is. And 
Yeah, most of 94 and a bit of 95, he's just, like, helping Hogan do stuff. It's it's pretty bad. <laughs> uh, he'd be, like, facing Avalanche at pay-per-views. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> oh, re- remember what I said earlier? St- uh, so Sting at Bash at the Beach, June of June 95, would defeat Ming to win another tournament for the U.S. title. <laughs> nice. By default, really, because the other semifinal match, uh, as we said in the in the Macho Man episode, was between Macho Man and Flair when they went to the backstage to brawl instead of having a, a proper match in the semifinal. Those jerks. <laughs> That's so unprofessional. But anyway, <laughs> he would beat Ming at the Great American Bash and then would go on to defeat Ming in the rematch at Bash at the Beach, 95. Beach Bash. Oh, Great American... <laughs> okay. He beat Ming at the Great American Bash. Sorry, I <laughs> missed that. Great American Bash at the Beach. Indeed. No, no, no that comes years <laughs> later. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Sting would then appear on the first ever Nitro and face off against Flair and won after interference from Arn Anderson, who those two were starting to feud. He'd then be saved by a returning Lex Luger. He's back. <laughs> That's right. Indeed. There comes a point where Sting uh, drops... Stops wearing the United States title, by the way, possibly due to, to a deal with New Japan, which I'll get to in a second. What? It's very, yeah, it's very odd. Like at Nitros, he would just come out minus the belt as the champion. It'd still be called the United States champion. It's very weird. Okay, <laughs> sure. <laughs> I was uh, unaware of this particular tidbit of of information. Oh yeah, it's it's, it's weird. At Fall Brawl '95, Sting would team up with. Hogan, his best buddy from forever. Everybody's best buddy. Luger and Savage to take on the Zodiac, Kamala, Shark, <laughs> and Ming. Those heavyweights right there. Sting would enter a feud with Flair again. And I- I'm assuming this is the stupidness that you were talking about with Sting always being there mm. to help people. <laughs> the wrong people at that. <laughs> As uh, Sting... As Flair was in a feud with Arn Anderson, who had aligned himself with Brian Pillman. Sting needed a partner. And uh, I write here, it feels like a joke but here, but anyway, Sting, he asked Sting to be his partner, and Sting's like, if you cross me, there's going to be repercussions. <laughs> and I write here, it feels like a joke, but Flair turns on Sting for no reason in their tag match at Halloween Havoc 95. <laughs> There's literally no reason for him to lure Sting into the, this trap, aside from Flair just being a jerk. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, I'm bored, and this would be an easy thing to do. <laughs> so, <laughs> what is this? <laughs> and then, even better, Sting just beats the shit out of Flair on the, the next Nitro, and locks in the Scorpion Deathlock, and doesn't let go. It was actually a really funny scene, because, like, Savage is there, Hogan's there, he's like, come on, dude, let him go, brother. <laughs> and then, Lex Luger, who is a heel at this point. He sting his face, Luger is heel. He just walks up, casually to Sting, just whispers, like, a little something in his ear, Sting lets go, they both uh, turn and walk away. <laughs> and, like, Savage and Hogan are like, what the hell? <laughs> And this became a really fun gimmick, as uh, as I'll get get to in just a little bit here. Sting would then later beat Flair at World War Three of '96. Sting's uh, U.S. title reign would last until November 13th, 
when he was defeated in by Kensuke Sasaki in Japan. And Sting would get his revenge on Sasaki in a non-title match during the World Cup of Wrestling event at Starcade 95. Uh, did you hear about the World Cup there, Joe? Yeah, I covered it in the, uh, the Macho Man episode where they... Oh. oh, yeah, that's right. Savage was in it. <laughs> of course, all the kids lose and then, you know, like, all oh, the main eventers come and save the day. But, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but yeah, Sting was, one, was uh, I think, the first WCW guy to get a win in that seven-match series. And uh, now we get to the part I was talking about. Sting and Lex Luger would then become a full-time tag team in 96. <laughs> As, uh, you know, it was literally like Luger was like, hey, man, you know what would be <laughs> really cool if we became a tag team? And Sting was like, well, I thought about it, but all right, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> like, no, I'm not even kidding. Sting, that Luger turns to the camera. He's like, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So on January 22nd, 96, the duo would defeat the Harlem Heat and become the new WCW Tag Team Champions. And this became one of my favorite gimmicks of this time right here. As uh, <laughs> The story was Sting wanted was trying to force Luger to be a good guy, but Luger was like being the, this total idiot heel. Like <laughs> Jimmy Hart was his manager at the time, so he was like, okay, Jimmy, like in front of Sting, okay, Jimmy, you have to stay back here. And, like, during the course of the match, like, Jimmy Hart would run down, throw, a, like, a helmet to Luger. Luger would grab it, hit the other guy, and pin him. And Sting is like, what the hell are you doing? And he's like, what? Like, Jimmy Hart just came down, threw you a, a helmet. And like, well, he was? <laughs> he's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> it was like this every single time. And uh, Luger was actually a really good actor here playing the – the idiot who was like, I don't know. I, I, Jimmy was seriously. Jimmy was here. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Oh my god! It's so. If you get a chance to see any of these matches, uh, Luger and Sting were actually a really good tag team. Too. Yeah, um, in uh, in WWE 2K15, I've got them set as the WCW uh, tag team champions. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and during this time, Sting would also get a shot at WCW champion The Giant at Slamboree 96, but lost after Luger came down to try to help Sting by cheating, but it backfired and cost Sting the match. Uh, after helping Sting and Luger retain it uncensored, Harlem Heat got a rematch as uh, at uncensored of that year. For whatever reason, I think Luger pissed off Sting so much he didn't want to tag to tag with them at their next defense. This and is, they were... this is un Uncensored 96? Yes. All right. Well, no, what happened was that Jimmy Hart pulled out Luger for to, to put him in the Doomsday Cage match. Uh, oh, that's right. <laughs> uh, for reasons known only to Jimmy Hart. <laughs> uh, and upon doing so, he gave <laughs> he gave Luger a custom jacket, uh, which uh, Lex Luger was very impressed by. <laughs> it's a really great promo. Uh, especially because while well, well, <laughs> while Jimmy Hart is talking to to, Jim, to Gene Okerlund, uh Luger's just kind of standing there and he starts strumming his his abs. Uh, and while he does does so, he realizes how like that it feels nice against his fingers. So he starts playing air guitar on his abs. <laughs> it's the greatest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> so Sting would go and seek help from a young. Uh, young up-and-comer by the name of Booker T of Harlem Heat, the very team they beat for the tag team titles. 
He made a deal with him that if he helped him beat the Road Warriors at Uncensored, Harlem Heat would be next to get a title shot. And uh, it's a very cool match. I thought Booker T and Sting played well off each other. I would say, like, you know, going back to what we were saying, like, oh, this was the moment that you started to see, like, maybe there might be something. This is that moment for Booker T. As This is the, the time where you're like, you know, he could be something really good in the future. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, spoiler, he was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they would retain in comedic fashion as uh, Sting and I think uh, it, it was, uh, yeah, Booker T and uh, Animal were fighting in the back or something. And uh, during the course of the fight, they bump into Luger, who's putting makeup on oil on his body. (laughs) (laughs) Like, Animal bumps into him and, like, spills his oil over the place. Like, what the heck? You ruined it! (laughs) He he literally hulks out and then charges... And then charges uh, Animal and knocks him out. And then uh, Stevie Ray, Booker T's partner, comes out of nowhere and with handcuffs and like ties up uh animal in like the steel pipe. So he can't get back to the ring, which allows uh Booker T and uh Sting to get the victory over Hawk. While Animal's like, hey, hey <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. So at this point here, and I'm trying to find my spot on the notes. So anyway, so true to his word, Harlem Heat got their rematch on the June 24th episode of Nitro, and they won the titles back, thus ending my one of my favorite angles of all time. <laughs> and then, Joe, it's the summer of 96. Ooh. That hit? Yeah, you, you, of course, after Macho Man and Hogan, you know what happens in 96. As a duo by the name calling themselves the Outsiders would hit WCW and challenge three WCW guys at Bash of the Beach 96. Sting was literally the first guy to stand up to him, going up to Scott Hall and basically telling him, you know, you're going down. (laughs) You can go kick rocks, buster. (laughs) Uh, Sting was chosen as well as Luger and Savage to answer the challenge. And then... Bash at the Beach happened. You know, I could go into it, but we've gone over it like th- twice now. <laughs> <laughs> and to, uh, t- for Sting specifically, uh, he was the second person pretty much uh, knocked out of contention uh, that match. Uh, Luger being the first, being just pretty much murdered immediately. Uh, and then Sting kind of just hangs out until kind of towards the end. Mm. Before eventually being incapacitated. Indeed, indeed. Uh, and so... So he lasted a while, but in the end, you know, NWO happens and all that stuff. Sting would be, if you want to hear us talk more about it, I suggest you go back to the very first episode when we talk about Hulk Hogan. Mm -hmm. Sting would become one of the biggest defenders of WCW against the New World Order at this time. The fight became so serious, in fact, that at War Games 96, Arn Anderson and Flair of the Horsemen, who had been at this time, you know, you know, petitioning to have the horsemen go in there to take on the NWO, decided, you know, you know what, what if we just team up? And they went up to Sting and Luger and said, me and, you know, Flair and Arn team up with Sting and Luger and we'll form Team WCW to take on the NWO. And in a sense, it was kind of a dream team that was being created to take on the NWO. Who could NWO get to, (laughs) to match this power? So, Hogan, Hall, and Nash revealed that they had a mystery partner, and that mystery partner was, in fact, Sting. 
Oh, <laughs> with the collective WCW. <laughs> oh, God, this thing. <laughs> oh, man. And so the rumor became a reality on an episode of Nitro. Luger who was chasing NWO members to their limo to find out who the fourth guy was. And before Luger came out, they actually did their best with this one. I can't, like, beat him, pick on them too much. Because you see Ted DiBiase leaning into a window. You can't see who he's talking to, but you hear Sting's voice. And they would reveal that this was all part of a ploy. It wasn't really Sting, but like a tape recorder from like an interview in the back. I actually recognize what Sting was saying from an interview he cut a while ago. So <laughs> for me, that was like, huh, that's weird. So Luger gets there. And then a door opens. And out comes Sting. And... You know, if you were to look at it like in the arena, you could instantly see the size difference. But <laughs> from a pers- from the perspective, like Sting was like further in the back, so he looked about the same size as Luger. And then he just attacked the Luger and uh, left him laying <laughs> with the rest of the NWO. So at this point, we assume that uh, Luger- that uh, Sting had turned. <laughs> I-, I love that. I-, I love that Luger would be fooled. Uh, enough to think that this imposter was indeed his very best friend in the world. Indeed. <laughs> it's like <laughs> someone couldn't recognize him from from uh, three feet away. <laughs> but he had makeup on. <laughs> Everyone in WCW is just real dumb. Anyway. <laughs> when, when the story was called for it. So, at this <laughs> point, Fall Brawl 96, which is actually quite a significant turning point in the war with the NWO, Sting appeared in Team WCW's locker room and said simply, that wasn't me. <laughs> okay. By the way, I want to point out that Sting has not said anything to anybody until this <laughs> night. So Luger and spe- so he, the others didn't believe Sting, Luger in specific, and told him so. Sting left as Team WCW told it that they would go into a three-on-four situation by themselves. You have fun with that. Anyway, Sting did show up, however, as this was War Games. Uh, are you familiar with the rules of War Games? Refresh everybody's memory, Malcolm. Indeed, and this is true with the WrestleFest match with Sting Squadron versus uh, the uh, Dangerous Alliance. What happens is it's like teams of four or five, depending on the situation, and they all start outside the ring. There's quite a few rules. Uh, <laughs> okay. Two guys start in the ring, and then they fight for, like, five minutes. And then the two teams on the outside flip a coin. And the heel team always wins. That's the important thing. uh, That gives them an unfair advantage, because then they can send one of their guys in next for two minutes, and they usually beat down the faces for a while. And then after two more minutes... The face, a, a member of the face team goes in and so forth. And it keeps going back and forth, back and forth until every member of the team is in there. From there, the match can only win when one team surrenders. <laughs> There's no pinfall or anything. You just beat each other up <laughs> in, within the cage. Until you beat several men to within an inch of their lives until they can save, they can take no more. Indeed. And these are typically actually really bloody matches, the war game matches. So you, you, it's more, it's, you can see people giving up to the pain a little bit better. You know, it, if a WWE would, was going to do this match, forget it. But, you know, it's like, it, it was actually touted as a big deal back then. It sounds so, like a really weird, like, very, it sounds like a really weird tag version of the Elimination Champion. Uh, yeah. Only you can't end it with a pinfall. 
It's amazing WWE's ability to simplify things. Like, <laughs> I, I granted, if I were to spell it every rule of Elimination Chamber, it might take a little longer. But I feel Elimination Chamber is simpler, you know. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, shit at the. Uh, so after Fake Sting went in, as I shall refer to him, <laughs> actually that guy had actually a pretty, a pretty heck of, had a hell of a career as Fake Sting. <laughs> Sub Sting, if you will. Indeed, as he would actually, after this stint, he would actually go to Japan as actually called Fake Sting, and he would make. <laughs> Did he really he, do that? Yes, he made a killing <laughs> over in Japan. New Japan loved Fake Sting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he was also in the WCW Air versus NWO game as Fake Sting. <laughs> oh man! But anyway, when the uh, you know. At the la- after he, you know, they beat up the WCW guys, and then two minutes pass, and all of a sudden, Sting's music hit, and he ran to the ring and cleaned house. He took out all three members, all four members of the NWO, had them laying, and then turned angrily to Luger <laughs> and shouted, "Is that good enough for you? Is that enough proof?" And then he turned and left the ring leaving the NWO to pick up the victory as they couldn't come back from the three-on-four <laughs> handicap. <coughs> oh, that's a lot of talking. The next night on Nitro, with his sting, with his sting, with his back to the camera, <laughs> Sting gave this little speech here. I wanted a chance to explain what happened last Monday night on Nitro. Last Monday night, I was on an airplane fly- flying from L.A. to Atlanta. When I got to Atlanta, I turned on turned the TV on to Nitro. I thought I was watching a rerun. It was very <laughs> convincing. Often imitated, but never duplicated, though. What else did I see? I saw people. I saw wrestlers. I saw commentators. And I saw best friends <laughs> doubt the stinger. That's right. Doubted the stinger. So I heard Lex Luger say, I know where he lives. I know where he works out. I'm going to go get him. So I said to myself, I'll go into seclusion. I'll wait and see what happens Saturday night. And I tuned into Saturday night. And what did I see? More of the same, more doubt. Which brings me to Fall Brawl. I knew I had to get to Fall Brawl and get face-to-face with the total package. That's Lex Luger, folks. That's <laughs> one of his to let him know that it wasn't me. And what did I get? what I got from this was, no sting. I don't believe you, Sting! <laughs> well, all I gotta say is I have been been mediator, I have been a babysitter for Lex Luger, and I've given him the benefit of the doubt a thousand times in the past 12 months. And I've carried the WCW banner, and I've given my blood, my sweat, my tears for WCW. So for all those fans out there, and all those wrestlers and people that never doubted the stinger, I'll stand by you if you stand by me. <laughs> but for all the people, all the commentators, all the wrestlers, and all the best friends who doubt, who did doubt me, you can stick it. From now on, I consider myself a free agent. Sting would then drop the mic and leave. Sting would... Uh, be gone from quite from TV for quite a while after this. Sting would go this time go on a tour of Japan, which ended up being his final tour ever to Japan. And he would be gone until October twenty first, ninety six. 
During during a match with uh, featuring fake Sting, <laughs> Sting appeared. And actually, Joe, this would be a pretty good spot to, to end part one. All right. So I guess if this is the end of part one, stay tuned uh, for part two, which will drop at the exact same time as part one. So just go ahead and uh, switch. Just, I guess, let this play out. You'll get into part two. We'll see you next minute.